With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Therefore, he appointed Jesus as head of the church, which is his body. And just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ and us. So we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and mature in the body, putting off our old selves to be made new and clothing ourselves with the full armor of God. Each part does its work until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. And there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Well, hello and welcome to Cornwall Church. We are excited to be together. Whether you're watching online in Boca Raton, Skagit Valley, or right here in Bellingham, Washington, always a pleasure to be together. If we've not met, my name is Scott, and I am the next-gen pastor here at Cornwall Church. If you happen to be here last week, Pastor Bob was talking about something, and he kind of mentioned a couple times, like, I might not have a job next week. <laughs> and interestingly, I'm here on the stage, and all I'm going to say is... You win some, you lose some. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Pastor Bob is still very much our senior pastor here at this church, which is a very, very good thing for us all. Um, but it is truly great to be here with you this morning. Um, I want to ask, ask you a question. Have you experienced the awe of God before? Have you ever been in awe because of something that you saw, you heard, or you experienced? And you were in awe of God, not just of people, not just of trees, not just of creation, but of God. A couple weeks ago, I was in Romania, and I was there with a team of incredible people from Cornwall Church, and here's a picture of us. The town behind us is called Sigishora. It's in the middle of Romania, and while we were there, we were partnering with Bethany Baptist Church, and one of the amazing experiences that we had is we went to a service at their church, and Luke and Raina Brandon, who attend Cornwall, they're on our team, they were leading worship in English, naturally, and the lyrics for this song was on the screen in Romanian, and it was this incredibly powerful, awe-inspiring moment as we together worshiped our same God in two different languages. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but it is, it is incredible, and it wasn't just something that provoked awe in me. There were many on our team that were like, that was amazing. And it absolutely was. Another experience that I had that's been awe-inspiring is I've been reading through the Chronological Bible with uh, one of my friends named Keon, and we, we got to the Gospels, and, and the way that this works is it just lines up chronologically how things happen, and so it's the overlap of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as I've read through these interactions again and again and again, it continues to remind me of who Jesus is and how incredible he is. My guess is if you have read any of the Gospels once, twice, or many more times, or all of them, that if you read it from the vantage point of these things actually happened, 
This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a great J.R.R. Tolkien novel. This actually happened that you would be in awe, that you were in awe, you are in awe. Let me just highlight a couple of the things that I'm just baffled by. Like To me, awe communicates a lack of other words to describe how incredible it is. But here are a few interactions that just baffle me. Matthew 8, when Jesus heals a Roman centurion servant, this Roman guard comes to Jesus and he says, my servant is sick, would you heal him? I know that you can. And Jesus is like, yeah, let's go. And he's like, oh no, you don't have to come with me. Like, I know you can heal him from right here. And Jesus is like, wow, yep, he's healed. And the guy's like, thank you, and goes home. It's like, what? <laughs> Matthew 12, he heals a man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath. You, Jesus should know you don't, as a Jewish per person, work on the Sabbath, and yet he heals somebody on the Sabbath. Mark 4, the disciples are panicking because they think they're going to end up as fish food at the bottom of the lake because of a storm. Jesus wakes up, calms the storm with just a few words. Mark 5, he heals a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years simply because she has faith that if I just touch the edge of his clothes, I will be healed. And she's healed. In Mark 8, he feeds 4,000 people from a few fish and loaves of bread. In Mark 9, he casts a demon out from a little boy because a father comes to him and says, please, please help me if you can. And Jesus is like, if? And he's like, help me in my unbelief. And Jesus graciously meets him in the, the, the amount of faith that he has and heals his son by casting the demon out. In Luke 5, he heals a man with leprosy as well as a paralytic because of the friends, his friend's faith. This man hasn't walked. He's carried before Jesus. They actually break through somebody else's roof in their home and lower him in front of Jesus, and Jesus heals him. He walks out. That is amazing. In Luke 7, Jesus raises a widow's son from the dead and lets a sinful woman anoint his feet with perfume and tears. Jesus, again, knows this is not something that you do as a Jewish rabbi, you don't let a woman touch your feet, not to mention a sinful woman, and yet he intentionally chooses to do that. In Luke 19, he tells Zacchaeus, who is a hated tax collector, he sees him in a tree, and he's like, Zacchaeus, I'm gonna come over, we're gonna hang out, and everybody's like, what? And Zacchaeus is like, what? And I think Zacchaeus almost falls out of the tree because he's so shocked that this religious rabbi, this man wants to spend time with him, a known and hated tax collector. In John 4, he spends time with a Samaritan woman that shocks her simply because he wants to tell her about who the living water is. In John 9, he heals a man born blind. In John 13, he bends low to do the unthinkable and wash his disciples' feet, a task left usually for the lowest of the low servants. And yet Jesus chooses. And then Luke 22, Jesus allows himself to be arrested, insulted, mocked, and beaten. In 23, he's found innocent by Pilate, yet flogged, carried his cross to Golgotha, was crucified, determined dead, and placed in the tomb. And then Luke 24, he victoriously conquers death and reveals his risen self to his disciples before he ascends to sit at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And I say, what? Which is also my way of saying amen, or in Romanian, amen. 
my hope is, is me reading through. This is not the extensive list, by the way. That's just some of what Jesus did. My hope is that that stirred in you a sense of awe because those things happened. One of the things that inspires me, one of the things about this that puts me in awe is to acknowledge that Jesus came and in coming in his birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, he humbles himself, he submits himself to God the Father, but he submits himself to people as well. He puts their needs above his own needs and he comes to serve. He submits himself to the needs of the men and women that he interacts with again and again and again. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, this is highlighted in a beautiful way. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ submits himself again and again and again to the will of God the Father and to the needs of the men and women around him. He submits himself. Today, the word submit has baggage. It has a negative connotation and negative associations. I think that the word submit has baggage because it's confused as something else. And I think what we confuse the word submit or submission with is subordinate or subordination. Let's look at the difference because there is a significant one. To be subordinate is to treat or regard as of lesser importance than something else. To be subordinate is something that's put upon you, forced upon you, and it devalues you. But to submit is to accept or to yield to a superior force, God, or to the authority or will of another person. To submit is a choice that we make for ourselves. It's nothing that should be forced upon us. It's a choice that we make, and it actually communicates incredible value to the person or people we are submitting ourselves to. You see, throughout the Bible, we read again and again of men and women who demonstrate biblical submission. Biblical submission demonstrates humility, selflessness, love, and trust. Biblical submission is a beautiful and inspiring thing. Moses, Abraham, Joshua, Esther, Jonah, eventually, and Ruth demonstrate submission. Look at Jonah. Jonah resisted submitting to the will of God the Father and submitting to the needs of these corrupt men and women. And yet when he chooses to submit, what happens? An entire people group come to know God as their God. Biblical submission is beautiful and inspiring. Let me highlight just another interaction in the Bible. In the uh, book of Acts chapter 2, and they, towards the end, the church is new. It is thriving. Disciples are doing mind-blowing things. And, and it says that the disciples sold everything that they had so that they could give to those in need. They sold everything they have so that they could simply give to those in need. They could meet people where they were. That's wild. 
And yet they did it. They submit to God the Father, the will of God the Father, and the needs of the people around them. There is no other way to put that. And then later in... Um, in church history, we read of men and women who hear about a plague and, and a plague breaks out in a city and everybody's trying to flee because of how contagious plagues are, which is understandable. So it's like, run away, run away, run away. And the disciples, some Christ followers are saying, let me in, let me in, let me in. Why? So we can walk with and care for these men and women who are, they, we want to dignify them as they are dying. That is a level of submission to God the Father and to others that is worthy of being inspirational for you and I. They choose to do that, some of them, at the cost of their own life. They chose to submit to the call of God and to the needs of others. Submission is a key part of the greatness that we celebrate in others and what they've done or what they are doing in our world today. And you and I, we are called to embrace this piece of greatness. Ephesians 5.1 says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If we are to be imitators of Jesus, of his sacrificial love, that means that we are willing to submit every area of our life to God the Father and to others. And then Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. And I love as we come back to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another. This tells us the why, the motive, the where we are able to do this from. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Notice it doesn't say submit to one another because they're worthy, because they're good people, because they're incredible, because they're important to you. No, no, no. It says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If we are Christ followers and we are in awe of who Jesus is, we revere him as our Lord and Savior. That is the source through which, that is the person through which we find the power to submit, to willingly choose to submit to God the Father and to others. That is the call if you love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now this summer we've been looking at the book of Ephesians and we've been discussing about how the body is called to be unified. And this, as we move from this kind of general call to br brothers and sisters in Christ, it becomes very specific. And he focuses in on the marriage relationship between husband and wife. And he says that ultimately, that submission plays a key role in husband and wife being unified. As we continue on, please, please, please continue to draw to your mind the new understanding of the word submit that we have established this morning. It's not the baggage-ridden, oppressive element that we've been, or word, that understanding of the word that we've maybe carried into this moment. It's this new understanding. Picture the way Jesus chose to submit to God the Father and submit to the needs of the people as we continue. Now, before we get to this passage, I want to say this. Some of you in this room are like, okay. I'm not a husband or a wife, so the rest of this does not pertain to me. If you are single and satisfied, that is awesome. I am so glad that you are satisfied in your singlehood. That is incredible. And yet you are going to have people in your life who are not single. And you're going to have the opportunity to be a 
counsel, a counselor for them. They may be experiencing some relational tension and they may look to you, uh, what do we do? How do we move forward? You have the opportunity to share the word of God with them. So stay tuned in. Some of you are single and ready to mingle. And if that's you, please dial in, listen in, because what we're going to talk about can help you understand the who you want to mingle with, if you know what I'm saying. Because if what we're going to talk about, if you're like, mm, I don't want to do that with this person, then they're not the right person for you. This is a good criteria to identify the who and the who not to pursue in a relationship. If you're dating or engaged, this right here is gonna be stuff that you need to start practicing right now. If you aren't already, start practicing it because I'm here to tell you that when you get married, there's not an on-off switch. I'm just gonna call that what it is. And if you're married, whether it's been for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year, for a decade, for five decades, whether it's been all unicorns and rainbows. Congratulations, you just got married yesterday. Well done. Um, <laughs> for the rest of us, the reality is marriage is an incredible gift with, with ups and downs and that every single one of us has room to grow in what we're gonna talk about, but it is God's plan for marriage. It's not my plan, it's the word of God for you and for me. So with that, continue to draw to our, your mind the new understanding of the word submit, and let's dive in. Verse 22 to 24, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Right out of the gate, I wanna identify this. It is God's plan for the husband to be the leader of the home. It explicitly says that Christ is the leader of the church. He goes, forth, goes first and everyone else is to follow. This explicitly says that the husband is to be the leader of the home. Please understand what I'm saying. That is not an oppressive dictatorial role. That is, we as husbands are to follow the leadership example of Jesus Christ, who is the best leader who has ever led, who leads with boldness and truth and conviction and grace and mercy and humility. All right. Thank you, sister in the back. Um, so what Paul, I want to clarify what Paul is not saying. The act of submitting is not intended to call a woman to accept dictatorial, oppressive, shaming, manipulative behavior from their husband. The call to submit is not synonymous with being subordinate, a lesser force to serve someone who is greater. And Paul is definitely not encouraging chauvinistic or sexist behavior. Rather, Paul is confronting a cultural reality at this time that is prevalent in the church, and he's calling the men and women in the church of Ephesus to return to the beginning, in essence, to a new normal that goes all the way back to the beginning. What we see as you read verses 22 to 33 in this passage, when you look at the heart of what Paul is saying, it sure sounds a whole lot like the heart of God revealed in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1, what we see... In verse 26 and 7 is that God, the triune God, created man and woman in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. That means that we are co-image bearers. A man does not fully and completely 
communicate who God is. We can't fully represent who God is. Neither can a woman on her own fully represent who God is. And yet together we can. We are created equally in the image of God. So from the beginning, God declares equality. And you get to the second um, storytelling of the creation story in, in Genesis 2. And verse 18, verse, chapter 2, verse 18 says this, The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now we're going to pause and I'm going to let go of this beautiful momentum I'm creating to hit a very important side note. It is not good for man to be alone. Some of you in this room are single. You're single for a time. You may be aware that you are, God's calling you to singlehood for life. And you hear a lot about relationships in the church. And what I want to say is that God calls some to be married. And that is a good and beautiful and difficult calling. And God calls some to be single for a lifetime. And that is a good and beautiful and difficult calling. They're different from one another, but they're both good and beautiful and difficult. But we cannot neglect this truth right here that says, regardless of your relational status, that you are created in the image of God who in and of himself is community, and therefore you need to be surrounded by men or women or both who love Jesus, who listen, who support and encourage and build you up. So if you are here and you are embracing single for life or single for now, Man, I want to so encourage you and say, well done. Way to walk in obedience to the call that God has placed on your life. But please, please, please get connected with a community that can support you because you need that. Okay, so it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Adam, or God sees Adam and he's like, ooh, that's not good for him to be left alone. He needs some help. And we do. The word, the original language, the word for helper in the original language is ezer. Ezer referring to a person who contributes to the fulfillment of a need. They work with, support, encourage, build up, balance out their spouse. But ezer isn't just used of a, or for a woman to describe the role of a woman to a husband. It's used to describe God himself. In Psalm 70, verse 5, But as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help. You are my easer and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. This again reiterates that in Scripture, there is no difference between male and female in terms of value or equality. Scripture declares that neither the husband or the wife is superior to the other. Rather, we are to complement one another. Each spouse, each spouse brings something different into the relationship. And in marriage, we need to trust each other, love each other, and build each other up. What I am good at, my wife isn't as strong. What she is strong at, I am not. She takes action now. I'm kind of like, ah, we'll get to that. And she's like, mm-mm. <laughs> I need her to balance me out. Husbands and wives, we are created to balance one another out in equality. We are created to balance one another out. And so what Paul is calling the church in Ephesus, the husbands and wives in the church in Ephesus, is to go back to the beginning, go back to what God had created, had planned before the fall. 
Because it's after the fall that it says, husbands will rule over their wives. That's after the fall. And Paul is confronting that and saying, no, no, no. That shall not go on. He is saying at this point in time, women did not have rights. They were objects to basically bring men pleasure and or children. And that's, they didn't have a voice. It was better if they were unseen. And Paul is saying that stops now. If you believe in me, there is a new way. And he's saying, wives, the new way forward, the new old way forward for you is to submit to your husband in a way that demonstrates love, respect, in a way that builds them up and encourages them, in a way that says, if you fail, that's all right. I'm gonna pick you up, dust you off, and believe in you to do it again. He says, wives, the way forward for you is to submit to your husband. And yet, he says, submit to your husband as to Christ. Christ does not ever force anyone to submit to him. And so as much as you choose every day, whether you submit to the leadership of Christ in your life, it is up to you, wives, to choose to submit to your husband, moment by moment, day by day. That is a choice that you get to make for yourself. But Paul is saying explicitly that that is how God created you to relate to your husband. Now, to submit is counterintuitive and countercultural. Um, I read a funny interaction between a husband and wife via text. Um, this is what it says. The wife says to the husband, where are you? Husband, kitchen. Wife, can you feed the cat? Husband, I mean garage. Wife, bring in the laundry. Husband, bathroom. Wife, clean the toilet. Husband, Idaho. Wife, get potatoes. <laughs> Doesn't that kind of beautifully reflect our reality, though? It's like your wife or your husband asks you to do something. It's like, oh, I got another thing going on. I'm going over here, and you want me to go over there. If you're anything like me, there's times where my wife says, hey, Scott, can you? And I'm like, I can, but why do I need to? Can't you do that for yourself? I'm just being real and vulnerable with you people, okay? Okay? And fortunately, I don't ever say that because I'm like, ooh, that's sinful, that's yucky, nope. But we have a natural resistance as human beings to wanting, to choosing to submit to someone else. And yet when we read the pages of scripture in the gospels in Luke 9, 23, 14, 27, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow me. And if you're unwilling to do that, you are not my disciple. Whoa. We are called to be imitators of Christ, which means that we are willingly submitting every area of our life to God, the father, first and foremost. And secondly, if you are married to your spouse. So what Paul is saying, this is true for wives, and it is equally true for husbands. Let's get to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as just, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Anybody else feeling that? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. I'm like, Paul, you didn't really need to say anything more. Just drop the mic and walk off. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Paul is declaring in a very blunt, direct fashion, husbands, 
that we are to be ready to love our wife regardless of what it costs. There is nothing off the table because Jesus gave access to everything. Jesus said, I am giving everything I have to communicate my amazing, unending, sacrificial love for the church and husbands. He is calling us to do the same for our wife. This includes romantic and emotional love, and at the same time, it includes those moments when romance is not in the air, when it's difficult to love your, your wife. He's saying in those moments, when it feels more like a decision or duty than feelings and passion, that you are to love your wife, that we are to love our wife. If we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we're to love them with uh, a tenderheartedness, with compassion, that we are to be forgiving, gracious. We are to pursue them. We are to be gentle, selfless, and sacrificial. To love our wife as Christ loved the church requires that we submit every area of our life to God the Father, and we submit ourselves to our wife because if we don't submit ourselves to our wife, we are not able to love them as Christ loved the church. Because just think about this. If Jesus wasn't willing to submit himself to the needs of the church, we would not have hope. We would not have salvation. We would not have the promise of eternity with God in heaven forever. And so we must, as husbands, be willing to submit to our wives and be ready to do anything and everything to love them well. Um, what we also notice in this passage at large, but especially in this, in this section here, um, if any of them do not believe um, the word, they uh, may be won over with, oh, nope, can we go back? Sorry. Thank you. Um, gave himself up for her, making her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is proclaiming the gospel. This is the gospel. And what God is saying through Paul is that the gospel needs to be at the heart of our marriage, that we need to personally receive the love, the grace, the forgiveness, and the redemption of Jesus Christ and then we need to share that with our spouse generously. And then at the same time, the realization is that God uses your spouse, my spouse, to sanctify us. Not exclusively, but we are to grow in our image, in our likeness of God. And our spouse is to be our greatest love next to God. And so it makes perfect sense that he's going to use them to refine us. When I got married, I thought I was an amazing person. I was like, dude my life together. I'm a good man. I'm nice. I'm friendly. And I got married, and this has absolutely nothing to do with my wife. She is an amazing, amazing woman. I very quickly realized how selfishly motivated I am, how impatient, how controlling. It was just like, oh, I've got some stuff that I got to work on. In over 15 years of marriage, and the love and the grace that my wife shows me again and again and again, God is refining me. He is sanctifying me. He is making me more and more in his image. That is a good thing. Now, I want to offer one warning. Um, 
As husbands, we are to love our wife or love God first and lead our families to him, which means we have to pursue God more than anything else in our lives. Does that mean we have all the answers? Absolutely not. It just means that we are intentionally seeking him and inviting our wife and our family to follow our example. That is it. And when their opportunity presents itself, sometimes that includes pointing scripture out to our spouse in an area that they are struggling in. This is where the warning comes in. I have been tempted to quote scripture and to present that to my wife as a way of confronting behavior that basically would only seek to serve me. Does that make sense? Okay. I wanted her to change for my benefit. And praise God that he was like, "Mm -mm. (laughs) that is a terrible idea. You should not do that. That is my warning. What is your motive? If you want to, as a husband or a wife, if you want to share scripture with your spouse, what is your motive? If it's to point them more directly to God and to say, this is something, this is an area of growth, I want you to grow in your relationship with Jesus, then your motive is great and it is right. But if there's any essence of self-seeking motive in that, selfish desire, ambition, do not share it. It might be the right verse for the right person, but your heart is not right and you should not share it. Now, let me get even more specific. I'm going to focus in on wives submit to your husbands because this is a verse that has been misquoted, abused, and, and used to oppress women. If you are using this verse to guilt and shame your wife into submitting to you as the authority figure in your family, that it's oppressive and domineering, you need to stop. You need to absolutely stop. You are misusing, misquoting. You don't understand the passage that we're talking about this morning. If you think that that's God's word, you need to stop doing that. I say that as one of your pastors on the staff. I say that with love and grace. And maybe you didn't know that what you were doing is wrong, but I'm here telling you this morning with love and grace, it is, and it needs to stop today. Jesus never led that way. So, the warning is don't use scripture for your selfish gain, for your selfish gain. What we see as Jesus submits himself to the Father's plan, as he submits himself to the needs of others, is that life comes to life, that people experience life. And I believe because I've experienced, I believe because this is what the word of God is directing us to, that as we, husbands and wives, mutually Submit to our spouse that it will lead to life in our marriage. It will lead to health. It will lead to unity. It will lead to intimacy in our marriage. And our marriage will be better than it's ever been as we continue to grow in this. Now, some of you here are going, okay, that's great for those in the room who are married and married to a believer. But what about for me? I'm I'm a believer, I wanna live this out, I wanna embrace this, I wanna reflect this in my marriage, but I'm married to somebody who does not share the same belief. What am I supposed to do? Because it's really difficult. And it, I can only imagine that it is incredibly difficult. You know what scripture says, 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, wives, and this is, I believe, as relevant for wives as it is for husbands, wives in the same way. Submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, 
they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. If you are married to a man or a woman that does not believe, does not share your belief in Jesus Christ, what scripture is saying is you have a difficult task of continuing to live in submission to them in such a beautiful way with pure motives out of reverence for Jesus Christ and to pray and pray and pray that through that, that they would come to know and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. May you be empowered by God to so beautifully reflect his love that they are transformed by him through you. Amazingly difficult, and yet that is what the word of God is calling you to. So let's get really, really practical. What does submitting yourself to your spouse look like on the daily? I wanna go through a couple of things. Um, we're gonna start lighthearted, and then we're gonna get to a little bit more serious. But first, lift or lo lower the toilet seat. I'm just saying, it, you start with small things, people. You start with small things. Lift or lo lower the toilet seat. Join them if they want you to in doing something that they love doing. I'm gonna guess that hot yoga is maybe a little bit more for the women in the room than the men, but I know men who do hot yoga, so if that's you, great. If you want your spouse to join in, great. Try it out. But if you're a dude, please, for the benefit of everybody in there, do not wear yoga pants. Nobody wants to see that. And if your wife's like, no, I wanna see that, that's fantastic, but save that for another time in a different room. Just putting that out there. Um, <laughs> either support the fascination with fantasy football or give up the fascination with, with fantasy football. Watch a movie that they really wanna see that you have no desire to see. A couple years ago, I really wanted to see Thor, the first one. I love these kind of movies. My wife, Natalie, really does not, and yet she was like, okay, let's get it and let's watch. After five minutes, she goes, nope, can't, I'm out. <laughs> and she gets up, and I'm like, what? And then within 10 minutes, I'm like, that is a discerning woman. This movie is the worst. <laughs> Regardless, be willing to do something that they're interested in, that they're all about, that you're like, that does not interest me. Submit to that. If you're a messy Marvin or Maisie, and you are married to a neat Nathan or Natalie, just try to clean up after yourself. They will love you for it, and it really requires very little of you. Listen well. Listen well. And I mean listen so well that you're not just hearing the words, but you're getting the, the condition of the heart that's behind the words. That takes total focus. That means your phone is in a different room or totally off. The TV is off. The kids are gone if you have them. And you are totally dialed into your spouse. Now, if you have a spouse like me, I'm gonna pray for you because I am a verbal processor. My wife is an internal processor, which means pray for her because she needs amazing patience because I'm just like, bop, 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 bop. And, and you know, if you're a verbal processor, there's no, there's no limit to the words that you can use. <laughs> it's just all a part of it and it all feels good and your spouse is starting to get glazed over. So if you are not a verbal processor, I'm gonna pray for you as you listen to your spouse if they are, but truly I feel so loved when my wife is totally dialed in and she's listening to me to ramble and talk in circles and all of it. That is just a way that she can submit to me. Love them the way they receive love. And if you're like, I'm not sure what that includes, 
there's no shame in asking. Just ask. Just say, what can I do that makes you feel cherished? What can I do that makes you feel loved? What have I done? A little riskier with that one. But what have I done that's made you feel incredibly special? Take note of that and do it again and again. And related to that is plan a date. Date often. Dates don't have to cost money, but plan a date with their interests in mind. That's a small way of submitting to them. I want to do something that will make you feel special. Time together leads to connection. Connection leads to an enhanced relationship. That leads to a desire to submit to the other person. Date and date often. If they really want to do something, and you're like, I don't think this is going to pan out well. Maybe it's a time for you not to share that and instead to encourage your spouse to pursue it. Now, if that's like skydiving without a parachute, you might want to discourage that one. But if it's learning to dance, learning to paint, what throwing pottery, I don't know. But if they are super excited about it, it doesn't have to be a win. They don't have to like, become some famous artist, but get behind them, support them, encourage them. Include them in decision-making, especially if it affects both of you. Um, and be willing to engage and share and listen. Wives or husbands, you are the leader of your family, and yet God has given you an amazing wife who is gifted and talented and intelligent and sees the world through a different lens than you, they have wisdom and insight to share with you and you need to listen. And likewise, wives, the same is true of your husband. He's gonna see things differently. He's gonna balance out your view and it's together that you're gonna come to the best resolution and the best decision. So be committed to talking it out. And then the last one that I'm going to share, certainly not the last one, is be willing to have difficult conversations. Be willing to have difficult conversations, whether it's that enhancing and calling out something that you know is not honoring to God with the right motive, or whether it may be the difficult conversation is more around that your husband, your wife expects something from you or is asking you to do something that is not God-glorifying and that you know won't actually lead them in a healthy direction. Meaning, if you continue, if this behavior continues to perpetuate, it's actually gonna lead to greater hurt and destruction rather than life and joy and hope. And at some point, you have to be willing to lovingly, graciously, and gently lay that boundary down. Look at the life and the example of Jesus Christ. He called people out of sin with love and grace and compassion. We can do that too. Submission does not always mean giving your spouse exactly what they want. That's not always the loving thing to do. To submit comes at a cost to you, yet it benefits the one that you submit to in life-giving ways, and truth be told, it will bring your life to life as well. It will greatly benefit your marriage. Now, the reality is, apart from God, there is no way that we can do this. There is no way that we can in a God-honoring, biblical way, submit to our spouse. And so we need to depend on the power that God makes available to us through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1, verses 18 and 19, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as, or that power 
is the same as the mighty strength that raised him from the dead, I believe. Um, <laughs> incomparably, uh, incomparably great power for those of us who believe. So in essence, may we pray first in our marriages. May we pray and invite God to give us the power that we need to give our spouse the power that they need to submit to one another biblically, following the example of Jesus Christ. In the beginning of this message, I talked about two different moments that inspired awe in me. What I believe is if we live into what Paul is saying, that we will be in awe of God as he shows up and meets us in our marriage. If you're a blank filler inner, here's your moment to shine. Choosing to submit to your spouse demonstrates love and trust. Love and trust are essential elements to experiencing intimacy. God created marriage to be an amazing gift, an amazing blessing to you and I. But if we want to really benefit or, or appreciate that gift, it requires that we do everything in our power to live out, to live into that gift the way he's created us and the way he calls us to, which means that we are called to learn and grow in our desire and ability to submit to one another. He created it to be an amazing blessing. May we live into it. Now, my question is this. What's your next step? If you're married, What's your next step this week? How is it that you can submit in a simple way or maybe a grander way to your spouse? Maybe it means that you need to engage in a conversation with your spouse that is a difficult one about the topic of submission. If you're dating or engaged, how is it that you reflect this heart of submission as well in your relationship in healthy and appropriate ways? And if you're single, may you look to the relationships that you have around you and may you seek the opportunity to submit yourself to your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that affirms them, believes in them, builds them up, and makes them better. What is your next step?